All right, Mr. Davion, we are live. You ready to do this, brother? Yes, sir. Let's do it. KTTV, uh, giving you what you need. Uh, motivation, education unleashed. H-Time representing, we forever keep it rolling. Join the conversation with inspirational stories. Thought provoking, feel that energy. Kendrick Thomas aiming to lift the community. True indeed, uh, tune in, come and see. Uh, giving you what you need. KTTV, let's go. KTTV. Hey, hey. hey, what it do, KTTV? This is KT, and you are tuned in to another episode of Education Unleashed. And tonight, we're going all the way to Massachusetts, y'all. I have the former Westville valedictorian, first African American male to do that, and Harvard student, Mr. Davion Tatum. How you doing tonight, brother? I'm doing great, man. Happy to be here. Thanks for having me. <laughs> Look, man, I appreciate you for stopping through. Uh, like I said, I know that you are a Harvard student, so you have so much to do <laughs> at all times, man. So thank you for taking a few minutes out of the schedule sure. to come just share the story, man, because uh, truly inspiring. And I know you got something good to give to somebody, man. So welcome to the stage. Thank you. Yeah, man. So now as you've been a college student, we, we are still in the pandemic. Uh, I know it's been crazy, so I will first off with that check-in and just saying, how are you? Uh, and how are things on the campus up there, Hawk? Actually, I'm doing really well. I remember when COVID first hit, I must admit, it was a very um, a very trying time for your boy. Um, mm -hmm. I remember when it first hit, I was like, just kind of taken a little, you know, by surprise and also just found myself in like this area of like, dang, is what I'm doing like in vain? Um, I remember when I, cause at the time it started hitting junior year, going to senior year, we're applying to colleges, we doing scholarships, we doing all this kind of stuff, but you see the world is shut down. Right. And it's like, dang, all the stuff that I'm doing, all the work that I've put forth for so long, is it mm -hmm. even going to be able to pay off in the end? Like, is it even going to be worth it? Um, and I remember like even wondering if I would be able to step foot on the school, on the campus of my dreams, if I'd ever be able to get there, you know, like those types of questions ran through my head and then yeah. had like, this this other these other incidents man like just throughout our society thought what was going on like it really it was trying i'm not gonna lie mm -hmm. um but once i got here and once i started like adjusting and like getting through my freshman year and now even my sophomore year um things are slowly getting back to normal I'm slowly getting back to that to that balanced state you know that, yeah. that that place where i feel like my feet are grounded where i have my footing and i can really like push and keep doing what i want to do um here on campus so far it's been chill um everybody's vaccinated <laughs> hey, hey you know that they we they don't have any more like mask mandates nothing like that over here mm -hmm. but um except like on certain buses but for the most part campus is back to full functioning yeah. fully normal and we're like really now i can say with like full confidence this i feel like is even though it's my second year i feel like this is really my first full year back mm -hmm. in school mm -hmm. since my junior year you know yeah. what i mean go junior year all remote right like you go all remote then you come to college and like, I mean, COVID protocols out the wazoo, man. Like, yeah, like testing three times a week, math. Some classes are strictly virtual. Some classes like you don't go to at all. Some you do, but it's like social, like it was crazy. So yeah. I think now this is my full, like back in person. I'm back in school. I'm getting my stuff. Like, I think that that's really great. So I'm excited. Look, man, I am, uh, you know, you never think about like I, Wow, you did all of this did happen like right in the pandemic. So you're yeah. like, man, I got this ride to Harvard. I'm gonna go. <laughs> no, I'm not. 
Yeah. God, yeah, that, that, that is crucial, man. Um, okay, Dr. Mendoza said, nice to see you. Looking forward to you speaking at our second. Uh, yeah. I agree. Uh, oh, like, thank you, Doc. Tune yeah. in, man. All I right. As well. <laughs> hey. So, man, I know um, that when you talk about being the valedictorian, I, that comes with a lot of work, mm. uh, a lot of gratification. But, but, um, you think about you saying, I want to do this at such a young age. Like, what triggered you to say, like, I want to do this from, like, like so young? <laughs> Honestly, it was when I found out what a valedictorian was. <laughs> it was because for so long I had put so much effort into my grades. I put so much time into my assignments. I enjoyed learning. I enjoyed helping other people learn as well. And when I realized that there was a title that, like classified what that was like someone who like enjoys learning who puts forth the best effort has really good grades like, there's a title for that i'm like oh i want to be that <laughs> and then as time kind of progressed i feel like once i started really understanding the magnitude of what the valedictorian was especially once i got into high school and or into ninth grade and i was like oh snap like it's getting real like it's real i was like dang like i really do want to accomplish this goal and i want to accomplish the goal for a multitude of reasons a lot of people think that um going like being a valedictorian like going like fighting is hard yeah. is rooted in like a competitive intent or like you do it with like the intent to like compete and truth be told and i'm not i'm not perfect by any means but i promise you my intentions when it came to this and these types of things are pure um i remember saying like i want a valedictorian to be black i want valedictorian to be a black dude this was and then going into ninth grade, I'd already written my book that was talking about the social stigmas that surrounded being a black man in America and in the world in general, the stereotypes that followed us, the stereotypes that labeled us. And going into ninth grade, I had an, an extra layer as to why I wanted to be the valedictorian, as to why I wanted to set a new precedent. I wanted to set a new legacy, a new foundation, break the cycle of stigma and go into a new era of we can do this, too. Like we got this, too. So I feel like it was like, it was multifaceted, the reason that I wanted to be valedictorian, the reason that I was fighting so hard for it. It wasn't to compete. It wasn't for accolades. It was so that I could show other people who come behind me, we can do it too. So I feel like that is kind of like the, the sum up of why I was like so adamant about it. It was on my mind constantly. Um, and why I was so happy and so blessed when it did happen. And to get, I kid you not, nothing made me more happy than to get other young black dudes, other young black girls, other young people who look like me to say that my work and what I've done has in inspired them or encouraged mm -hmm. them anyway. Yeah. That for me, like, mm -hmm. man. So yeah. that, that, that by itself is what just made me like, yeah, like I'm gonna keep going. I'm gonna do it. I got this. I can do it. And when it got hard, cause it got hard. Let me, let me tell you, it got hard. Like Westfield is a, a school where like you, they have parties at Westfield. Yeah. <laughs> so they have parties in spring. They do fun stuff in spring. And sometimes, saying no to the fun stuff or sometimes mm -hmm. shifting the people that you're around or sometimes shifting the courses that you're taking and it causes you to no longer be around those people that you grew up with. I've been in Spring ISD since I was in the first grade. Since Tom, I went from Thompson to Clawton to Westfield. Mm -hmm. um, I grew up with these people, you know, and sometimes going and like going on this new path and this new lane that you're on can cause you to like deviate or change from what's regular and what's the norm to you. But it was a blessing in that because I learned so much. And even though it was difficult, and I, I will not say it wasn't, it was very difficult. Um, I think there was still a blessing in seeing that I could have these people that I'm cool with, have these friends that I'm cool with, 
at the same time, like just because my path kind of changed and my path kind of mm-hmm. went a different direction doesn't mean that it was the wrong path, right? Mm-hmm. It doesn't mean that it was incorrect. It doesn't mean mm-hmm. that it was bad. It just means it was different. Yeah. Um, and I feel like I struggled with that for a little bit because I was like, no, I feel like I'm losing like all my like my 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 people. You know, I feel like yeah. I'm losing like all my my social that I had for so long. I had it since like elementary school. I feel like I'm losing that. Yeah. Um, but I wasn't losing it. It wasn't being lost. It was being changed. It was being shifted. So that I can be elevated and pushed up so I can help other mm-hmm. people behind me. So. Yeah. And, and with that, now, back to this book, man. You can't just slide that in like that, though. <laughs> By the time you in ninth grade, the book is done. The book is done. So that's pretty deep. That's a deep topic. First off, how did you get that research at such a young age? And second, though, who the hell in your family said... <laughs> Like, like, who was so pro-black that that's the way you took it at such early age? <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's good. Don't get me wrong, but look, was it mom or dad? Look, honestly, it, yeah. it was it was both, and it was everybody. I feel like the book. Uh, let me see. Okay, so ninth grade comes around. The manuscript's done. I write it in eighth grade. The manuscript's done. Right. I go and the book took because I didn't publish the book until my junior year. I didn't publish the book until COVID hit. Mm-hmm. So the book took about three years to be published yeah. post it being written. But in those three years, I feel like I was like, I really feel like God was preparing me and l- helping me to learn different lessons than the lessons that I had in the book originally, like the lessons that were there at the beginning um, and the, the message that was there at the beginning. So at the very beginning, the book was kind of geared towards like just breaking stigma in general. Um, I used like I used certain things as conduits. So I used like certain stereotypes that people use commonly. We laugh at them, we joke about them, but there's like there's a hidden um issue in them like saying that you like the stereotypes we hear about like oh like black people black dudes like if you go to a college you had to have got there or black people in general go to a college that they got there by sports mm-hmm. or um oh you're tall you play basketball or oh you're you have a certain build and you're a black dude you play football these certain things or you're hispanic you play soccer or you're asian you must be good at math these stereotypes and these stigmas that we like brush off and laugh at or like just think about like, oh, oh, whatever. I was addressing how powerful they can be and how negative they can be in society. Um, and I use different conduits, like the ones that I just mentioned, as ways to get that message across. Um, and I use sports as a way to get the message across. I use academics as a way to get the message across. And I just use like life situations as a way to get the message across. It was more so like a, not more of a, well, I guess it was more like an autobiography. It was more of like a, a Davion rant, if I'm being honest. It was more of like me kind of like, talking and it was more so just me asking the question so i talk about those three years um and nothing in the book per se like the manuscript itself changed like it was still eighth grade davion's writing what changed most was the title for one change and also the way that it was delivered changed um and i say that because when i first wrote the book the title was what do you see so when you see me, what do you see? Do you see the next president? Do you see the next position? Do you see the next lawyer? Or do you see another black dude with a perfect bill for the field? Do you see another black guy that like is a delinquent? Do you see another black guy that y'all want to classify as a delinquent or a thug? Do you, do you see another black guy that you want to fit into this stereotype or fit into this box of stigma? Do you see another black guy in that manner? Um, so that was the first, the, the first initial like premise of the book. And it came from a place of, when I wrote it, it came from a place of like, frustration a little bit because I was like I'm, I'm annoyed by this like I'm annoyed that in society we're only seen in this way we're only seen like this like why is that like police are killing us because they see us like this people are judging because seen like this 
they send us jugs, they see us like this. Why are we seeing like this? This is not, we're not a model. This is not who we are. Like, this is not the end all that be all for black men. Like, this is not, we're more than this. Um, and I was addressing these stereotypes. And as it pertains to it changing over time, I changed the book from what do you see to thriving in my own lane. And I did that because I didn't want to just address the issues of social stigma and of racism and of stereotypes in society, but I wanted to give tangible methods of fixing them. And one of them was owning our brilliance, taking back our power as black people, taking back our, our, our what we have, right? Taking, taking it back and saying that I know that society has these stigmas about us and not just as black people, as brown people, as people of color, anyone who feels like they've been ostracized or marginalized by society, anyone who's been oppressed by the system, anyone who feels like they've been stereotyped or have stigmas thrown at them or that labeled them, I wanted to take our power back and say, no, no, we're not going to be defined by this anymore. We're taking our power back. So that's why I said thriving in my own lane, because I inspire other people to thrive in their own lane as well and say that in spite of the stigmas, in spite of the stereotypes, in spite of in spite of all the things that are happening, all the things that people may try to say or try to throw at us or label us with, we're still incredible. We're still powerful. We're still brilliant. We can still do it. So that's why I changed the book. I changed the title. And that's why it took me three years because I wanted that message to yeah. be pushed out. Not just my frustration with it and not just addressing the issue, but also how we can go about fixing it. Mm -hmm. Man, so going through, you got the book going, <laughs> you got the work going in the background, you're pushing for valedictorian. The time has come now. We're about to uh, vote. <laughs> uh, how, how did it go down, man? And um, what did that mean to the school for you to be the first African-American male to, to even be a valedictorian at that school? It so <clears throat> it was I remember it was interesting because they told me this a little while back. So I remember um, I can't remember if it was the principal or who who was it at the time. But when I was a freshman. Um, <laughs> my class was really different. No freshman really like just goes and is asking for their ranks and their GPA their freshman year. But my class, we did. I don't know why. That's just what we was about. We was on that kind of stuff. We was on that kind of time. So we went, we would ask for our stuff. And I went and I asked, and I was the valedictorian since freshman year. Cool. Now I was tied with uh, I was tied with two other people, believe it or not. And I remember someone told me, so the counselor gave me my, my transcript and was like, um, don't lose this spot. Don't let this spot lose, right? Don't let the, don't let this don't let yourself lose this spot. And um, she said, "Don't let this spot go." And I was like, "Oh snap! Like, okay, if I just hold on to it, just keep doing what I'm doing, I hold on to it, I'll be good, I'll be chilling." And I remember I was walking down the hallway, like maybe like two days later, because because counselors and, and principals, all y'all talk, all the people talk, so I, I, everybody talk. Um, and I remember I was walking like not even a whole week later; it had to be like two or three days later. And either the principal, a sense of principal, somebody had said, um, hey, I heard you're the valedictorian right now. And I'm, I'm still a freshman. And I'm like, yeah, I heard you're the valedictorian in your class. I said, yeah. And he told me, he said, you know, if you stick that out for the next three years, yeah. I think you may be Westfield's first black male valedictorian. And I was like, oh, snap. So then I stuck it out for the next three years. And it happened. And I remember, like, it was very interesting. Like, how it happened, I, I think it was partially because of COVID. It happened in a way that was like, oh, my gosh. But also, like, wait, really? Because it when you look at the demographics, Spring ISD is mostly Black and Hispanic. Mm -hmm. So 
the idea that we have not had a black male valedictorian was kind of like, wait, are you sure? And I remember it was funny because this was never what I, this was never out of my mouth. <laughs> this is never what I said. This is what I was told. Um, I never went and like told anyone. They, just, they told me this. And I remember when they told me this and when I was like supposed to be writing my speech, of course I'm gonna mention that in my speech. Like I'm gonna mention it in my speech. And I remember they were like, whoa. So they went like they double checked the records and they like checked the records and kept checking and kept checking and kept checking. And it was like, we think you're the first black male valedictorian. Like, wait, you really like it's real. It's real. And I was like, okay, like that's good. Um, but it was interesting because it was kind of towards the latter part of senior year that it like became official. Um, at the beginning of senior year, it really wasn't that official because it was still like up in the air. It was like people knew, um, people like assumed it was like, I, we think Dobby was the first black male value. Mm-hmm. We don't really know. Like, we want to make sure our records are good. Um, but then they got official towards the end of the year. Mm-hmm. And I gave the speech and I talked about it. And part of my speech was saying that. I may be the first, but I know and I hope that through my work and through my actions, I'm not the last. And this year, I believe that OSF is going to have its second Black Nova Victorian, um, who I actually knew in band. Um, and he was two years younger than me, so he's going to be the Victorian now. Yeah. Um, to, my yeah. to my knowledge. So I'm really, I'm really excited about that because yeah. you want to be the first, like, you know, you want to have a first. You want a first to be this. We can break that, break that first barrier, right? breaking that barrier, breaking that wall down of having a first, of needing a first um, so that we can start making it a norm, right? Not an aberration. We want it to be the norm. We don't want it to be like a, something that's, oh, oh my gosh, what? Like, we don't want it to be crazy each time. We want it to be the norm. Yeah. I want it to be the norm that Black people are the valedictorian, that br- Black and Brown people are the valedictorians. I want it to be normal. So I feel like that, breaking that first wall down yeah. is really like the push in that direction to show yeah. like, yeah, we got it too. <laughs> so learning that in ninth grade and then being able to go uh, all those years, like talk to me about kind of those pressure points in there. Were you ever pressured and like, man, I got to live up to this. And so it was maybe was sometimes when on the inside, like you, you couldn't make it right. Uh, <laughs> but, but, but you knew what that weight was. Did right. you kind of go through stages of that? And if so, how did you handle that? Man, I'm still going through stages of that. Like, Oh yeah. Oh, we'll get to that part. <laughs> when I tell you, I like my people call me my 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 family say that I like to I don't like to disappoint people mm-hmm. right and it's because I care about people I care about all people I really do um and it's like I don't want to ever I don't want people to ever like put their faith in me or put their trust in me put their hope in me and me let them down right um and I feel like even coming to Harvard like I have that kind of on my shoulders also like I don't want to let people down you know I don't want to let people I want to I want to be that for them that they work for me or be that for them that they need me to be. Right. And I remember the pressure of just like maintaining that spot, maintaining number one, had seen what other people were doing because my class was really competitive. Like it was crazy. They took summer courses and they just did like a bunch of stuff, like just, I mean, crazy stuff, but seeing like how I was viewed or like how people saw me kind of pushed me to like, feel like I had to keep going no matter what. Yeah. Um, and at times it can get overwhelming, right? Because whenever you're doing something for other people, it, you, it gets overwhelming, right? But I, at a certain point, I had to start doing things that were, I understood for me and understood were for me and like that were intentional to my, to my passion and to my goals. Mm-hmm. And my goals and my passions were to help others. So I knew that by doing that, by staying true to my passion and my goals, 
I can help others by thriving in this lane that I'm in, by going about in my way, not doing it because other people I, I'm pressured by other people, but doing it because I want to help inspire other people. Mm-hmm. Um, so I kind of took that. I was able to take that piece like that, that pressure and that deterrence and turn it into determination because yeah. I took it and I was like, okay, people are seeing me in a certain way. I have to do this, I have to live up to, to this expectation. But versus like, instead of that, how about we try being the best me, being the best myself, being the best us that we can be and inspiring people that way. Right. Inspiring people by just being you and being your best version of yourself. So I feel like in that manner, I was able to take that, that like that thing that was weighing me down and help it lift me up. So that's yeah. it, brother. Come on, man. And now <laughs> we are at Harvard, second year in the game. Yes, sir. Oh, uh, you know, as a football coach, um, I learned from uh my boy Coach Pierre, mm. we always say grades equal money. Mm. I try to tell you <laughs> kids. Early man, high school now. I got a bunch of ninth graders. I'm like, dude, these grades equal money, man. Yeah. You you act like you don't want them. <laughs> so now talk to me about that decisions. You I'm going to Harvard. Um, but how many schools I guess said, look, come get this free ride on us, Ivy League. <laughs> and why did you make that decision to say Harvard? Well, um, it was a very hard decision. And if you know me, you know I am an indecisive person. Like that is like my, what is it, a character flaw? Like, <laughs> I suck at making decisions, right? But I said this, and as, as cliche as it sounds, I led and I, I followed my heart, right? And sometimes when I'm here, I wonder and I question, like, bruh, like, what have you gotten yourself into? But I followed my heart. And I think that the important thing for me when it came to making these decisions was that I looked at the path in which I could take to get me into the position to where I could do what I really wanted to do. And that's help people in the most ways that I can. Staying true to my passion, staying true to what I like, but using my passions and what I like to help other people. And I saw, so like you asked me how many I got into. So like um, all the Ivy Leagues I applied to, I got into. Um, I only applied to seven. Um, I didn't apply to Dartmouth, but I applied to all the others and I got into all the other ones. And I also got into Stanford. And my top two choices were actually Harvard and Stanford. Mm-hmm. And, um, and there were some other schools I applied to. I applied to UCLA, and I got in. I got applied to UC Berkeley. I got in. And some other schools. Um, but my top two were Harvard and Stanford. And I remember, like, I can't say no to either one of these schools. Like, I, like what? No, no way. But it was also, like, this level of, like, responsibility that I had to myself, again, to make sure that I was putting myself in the position where I felt like I'd be the most successful in my goal, right? And in my goal to help other people and my goal to be situated in a position where I can do what I desire to do and help others, right? So thinking about that and holding all that in my head and thinking about how like my aspirations are very, very interdisciplinary. So they're not like just one thing. I don't have, I don't have one uh, niche or niche or whatever, however you say it. I don't have just one. Um, I have a lot of things that I do and a lot of things that I'm interested in. So I think it was interesting to see how, like, I used that also as a tool to navigate my decision. Mm -hmm. Um, I didn't want to go to, I didn't, like, want to go to just a school that was, like, for engineering, right? I didn't want to go to just a school that was, like, engineering school, boom. But I also didn't want to go to just a school that was, like, oh, just social science, just humanities, like, boom. So I found a school, and I I looked at Harvard and just the different things they have, the different ways they, like, teach in the the liberal arts uh, college. You can do all this, like, 
exploration and whatnot. Um, and I said, I think that's it. I think that's for me. Like I can have my STEM, but I can also have my STEM in society, my social sciences, my humanities. And it was cool because I looked at it and I was like, wow. And I get to go to freaking Harvard. Like, yeah. like, come on, man. Harvard, like, come on, man. Like what? And it was so crazy because for so long, I was like afraid to tell people that Harvard was my number one school because it was, it was my number one school for a long time. But I never said that. I said MIT, I said Yale, you know, I said Rice, I said like different schools because I never thought I'd be able to get into Harvard. Never thought. Um, and to be able to get into Harvard, like I was, I was blessed, like seriously, like, and to be able to get in during one of their most competitive application seasons during COVID during like these times of just, unprecedented just like oh like yeah. man you you were there we know like it was just crazy so yeah. during these times to be able to get into my dream school i feel like it was almost like if you don't go to like what what you doing pimp like if you don't on, so i look at that and i'm just like wow and i'm grateful and i'm blessed and when i'm here i try to remember even when it gets hard like today which is so funny because today was actually a very uh crazy day believe it or not <laughs> it was very crazy um but even when it gets hard on days like today or days like i'm gonna have tomorrow um i remember like the reason i'm here right the reason i came here the reason i chose to come here i had a choice i was blessed yeah. enough to have a choice and i made the choice to come here um so seeing that and remembering that knowing that and remembering how excited i was when i saw congratulations davion tatum You've been accepted into, you know, like, remember, you know what I mean? Like remembering those moments mm -hmm. is what's helped me get through. Remembering why I'm doing it is helping me get through and why I chose it. So yeah, hope that answers man. you. Yeah, man. And, um, man, and like you say, the, the full ride, though, right? Yeah. Hey. So they say, we'll give you scholarship. You come <laughs> on down. Congratulations on that. So now you get here. Man, I'd have made it into Harvard. <laughs> and right then it was all digital. So yep. you started school. Look, when you got that first set of classes, mm. how did it change your life? So our pre-orientation, so we have pre-orientation programs, right? I joined the first year outdoor program virtually. Mm -hmm. So it wasn't outdoors. We was on Zoom, right? And then we get here. And like some of the classes are remote. So like I had like one class. That was, and it, luckily it switched into in person, like later on in the semester. But at the beginning, one of my classes was remote. And like getting here, going from having to be in high school, straight digital, to getting here, have some digital, like have a little weird hybrid type digital in person, like it was crazy. Then to go fully back, fully in person, I'm like, yo, y'all have to give me like a transition period or something. Y'all can't just throw me in there like that and then expect yeah. me to, but it was, it was humbling. That's the word I'll use. It was, it was humbling because I was like, dang, I thought I was good at math. I guess I'm not. Dang, I thought I was good at biology. I guess I'm not. But it was it was a good moment for me to realize, like, I still have more to learn, right? I, I still have room to grow, which I love. I love that you're never done learning. You're never done growing. People think that you can get to your highest level of, edu of education. You can be a doctor. You can be a lawyer. You can be whatever. And, oh, yeah, I'm here now. And they get, like, this this big head, this uppity mindset, like, this real, like, posh attitude because they made it. And I'm like, no. Yeah. Like, you said, there's more to learn. Mm -hmm. I don't care if I have three PhDs, an MD, a JD, an MBA. I don't care. 
I still got more to learn. There's still more to learn. There's still more knowledge to gain and still more knowledge to share. So I feel like keeping that mindset, I was humbled, but I was also helped. And I was I was groomed and I was stretched and it was uncomfortable. Hey, it was uncomfortable, but I feel like it helped me to see like, yeah, you still got more to learn. Pimp. You yeah. still got more, more to grow. Right. You still got more, more things that you need to tap into. Still got things that you have not tapped into yet. So I feel like that for me, that transition showed me that it was hard, though. Mm-hmm. And my GPA is is due. but <laughs> but it's not a, it's not a perfect 4.0 like it once was. But I think that's good because it's showing me that now I have to push and work harder. So each class I'm in now, the, in the back of my mind, it's all about like pushing, working harder, trying, keep trying. If you fail, try again. I don't take, I don't take L's as losses. I take L's yeah. as lessons. That's so it. keep going. But mm-hmm. yeah. So when I think about what you got going on um, and one of Covey's um, seven habits, right? Is sharpening the saw. Mm. So as you go through all these these classes, uh, you push to the limit because it's Harvard. Yeah, right. right. How do you <laughs> find that time to really take care of your mental and do something uh, that's soothing for your mind, body, and your soul? I sleep. Okay. <laughs> I try to sleep. Some days I can't, like probably today, but I try to sleep. And when I tell you, like, people overlook sleep, I'm going to get my sleep in, right? Even if it's broken up into sections, I'm going to get it in. But also, um, at the very beginning of the year, I had this, like, moment. And it was actually, like, your exact question I'd asked myself going into sophomore year. I was like, bro, how are you going to balance all this? Like, you really getting into, like, biomedical engineering? Like, you really getting into, like, your coursework? You getting into your stuff? Like, how are you going to balance this and stay, like, you know, like, sane? And I remember the first week I was here, because I'm, I'm they have these things called peer advising fellows. I'm a peer advising fellow path for like freshmen who come in. Like I, I advise them and help them. Nice. And um, we had moved them in. We had like trainings back to back, moved them in. Like the first week was crazy because I'm worrying about my first week stuff and like all 11 of their first week stuff. And um, it was interesting because I was like, whew, this is a lot. And like to do this throughout the whole year. Then I start classes. They start classes. I got to meet with them. We got to talk. I got to make sure they're okay. Like it was a lot. But I took like time. I sectioned out time to do like passion projects. And by passion projects, I mean like things that really just like either relax me or like things that are in my mind as like um, adventures or like different avenues I want to take that are just for pure fun. Um, I don't think that I and like I fought, I don't regret, but I fought myself a little bit for like throughout high school. I feel like I did enough stuff that was fun. I feel like I did a lot of stuff like that was like boom, 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 hit the ground running. Like you hit the pavement and you start. And this is academic. This is this. This is that. Like boom, boom, boom. Um, which is great. Like I love what I do. I love what I've done. I love what I still continue to do and be able to do. Um, and as I'm able to give back to my community and work and be involved civically and be involved in my society. Um, I do think that even in that, and as that is my passion, my desire to be helpful and to help others and to help my world, mm-hmm. I feel like even in that, if you don't find those moments of like, whew, those moments of like exhale, you will find yourself overwhelmed. I have many times. And I remember saying, I have to block off time. I have to block off sections, not because I'm trying to be selfish, not because it's like, oh, I need my me time, but because if I don't. I'm afraid that I won't be able to contribute yeah. 
the way that I wish I could. I wouldn't be able to give my 100% to this the way that I could if I block it off. You see what I'm saying? So yeah. I wouldn't be able to give my all if I keep going, I just keep pushing. Like, no, in order for me to give my all, mm-hmm. I need to block off this time so that I'm yeah. okay and that I refresh myself. Mm-hmm. And I went kayaking one time. Um, I slept. Uh, what else? I like binge watched a show or something. Like, I just do like random stuff that like is in my mind. I was trying to teach myself piano. Like, it was just like random stuff in my mind that yeah. I say like, okay, like, I don't care what it is. You're going to take this hour or these two hours and you're going to go and like, chill bro like you're gonna go and relax and it may it may not happen once a day maybe once every other day or every other other day but i really try to find that times where i'm able to like keep myself good here you know what i mean because i want to be messed up here and then it messes me up here because once that happens i'm no longer be i'm no longer gonna be acting from a place of like passion and joy and enjoyment of what i'm doing i'm gonna be acting from a place of like oh i feel like i have to do this and i don't want to get in that place so i want to make sure that i'm good here so that i remember like I'm enjoying this, what I'm doing. I mean, it's 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 stressful and it's tedious and it's a lot of work, but change is hard work. So I'm enjoying this. Um, but hey, even you need some you need some time off. So you gotta need- take it, man. I, look, I know um I, I tell people so much, man. It's cliche, but it's true. You cannot pour from an empty cup. Hey, like you got to you got to get filled up. Yes, sir. Uh, because when you are not 100, then the people around you are exactly. not 100. So you got to keep that energy, man. So that was a very important question for me uh, just to check in with you. And I see that you are taking care of yourself, uh, which is so very important. Now, thinking about what you're doing, uh, what you've done, how are you finding time when you come home to maybe go talk to high schools or or a community. I know you're down with the civic. So how are you giving back to the youngsters in the age time? That is, I'm so glad you asked that question. Coincidentally, right now, like as we're talking, um, my director of strategy for my nonprofit, so I have a nonprofit. It's called the A1 Foundation. Um, A1 stands for Action First. Um, we have Instagram. It's called the A1 Found- at the A1 Foundation. And um, my nonprofit is like completely revolved around action-based engagement. We're putting compassion at the forefront of everything we do. We want to be active in change. Um, we have five initiatives right now. And one of them, coincidentally, is actually at Winchie right now um, at their college night, tabling and piloting our Uprise initiative in Spring ISD right now. So uh, it's so cool that you asked that question because that's happening right now. I have my director of strategy there and my director of programming there. Um, both of them actually go to U of H and they are piloting the Uprise Initiative in Spring ISD. Yes. We're super excited because the Uprise Initiative is aimed at getting kids, especially like I feel like a lot of times people start thinking about college at junior and senior year of high school. Yeah. But my goal is to get kids who want to go to college to start thinking about it their freshman year. Because mm-hmm. what happens is you start building your academic report, your academic resume and your normal resume your freshman year, you don't build it junior year, you submit it junior year, right? Or you mm-hmm. submit it senior year, but you start building it freshman year. Um, so my goal is to get that on, like, on their radar early on and to give them all the tips and the tricks. I mean, stuff like the difference between ED, um, REA, EA, like stuff like that, like, or um, these other things like Quest Bridge and these mm-hmm. different, like, um, these, like these different programs and whatnot, like just stuff that like now going through the process, to me is like, oh yeah, I know that. Like, da, da, da. But when I started the process, I was ignorant to all of this stuff and to have to learn it was very like difficult. You know what I mean? Like to have to learn the process, of, it was very difficult. So I want to make it easy on them. They know this stuff. They know it quickly. 
they know it like the back of their hand because once you get it, it's like, oh, it makes sense. Like I can use Common App for this. This one has a separate application portal, so I can't use Common. Like you, you get it quickly. So I yeah. want to make sure these like little nuanced things about the college application process is given to them early on so they can have it, they can use it to their benefit. So right now, as we speak, they are at uh, Winchy High School in Spring ISD um, presenting the Uprise Initiative and piloting, pilot, sorry, piloting the Uprise Initiative yeah. in um, Spring ISD right now. So we're excited yeah. about that. Yeah. And um, also, you saw what um, Dr. Mendoza said. Um, I'll be going back and I'll be speaking at the um, Tatum Award for mm -hmm. Rising Writers. Yeah. And I'll be giving a, a nice little speech there. And there's going to be an award. It's called the Tatum Award for Rising Writers that's going to be given to some high school students who um, have shown like their leadership and their writing skills over the year and, um, and whatnot. And it's really awesome. I wasn't able to be there in person last year. But this year I will be. So I'm, yeah. I'm extremely blessed and grateful to be there. Um, but yeah, it's all about like giving back, man. Like, and I know that sounds like cliche, but I genuinely believe like if you're not like doing something to like help someone else or like doing something to like make the world around you better, like, like what are you doing? Like, I, I don't know. Like, I genuinely just wish I, and I want people to understand the importance of that, not just doing it to say like I'm doing it. But doing it because like you see the need for it. I think a lot of times it's easy to become like desensitized to like how much bad stuff is going on in the world, right? And you see it on TV, you see it like on social media. There's just like bad stuff happening all the time. And I feel like there's an important and beautiful thing about being a good part, being a good piece that's happening. When all this bad stuff's happening, you need something to be good. Something needs to be good there and something needs to be good and spread goodness because it can become so easy to feel like, well, I, I can speak for myself. I know it became easy for me to feel like things weren't like worth anything when you have like all this bad stuff and you see nothing changing, nothing happening, nothing new happening. But I feel like it'd be great when you have and you're able to see the change because you are actively being and becoming the change. So mm -hmm. you're able to see the difference because you are the difference. Yes, sir. Um, yes, sir. So I, I, I like that and I live by that. And I say, like, hey, if you see, if you feel like I feel, and it's like, oh, just bad stuff happening, like, you don't agree with this, you don't agree with that, you feel like this is injustice, you feel like this is inequitable, you feel like this is inequality, go out and, and try to fix and try to change and try to work to bring awareness to it and fix it if you can. Like, and I really just see, like, that is, like, our goal, you know, like, that is, like, our collective goal. If nothing else brings together, we should at least come together in our collective goal to live, like, happy with one another and our collective human goal to just be like vibing with each other and not have like all this heartbreak yeah. in, in this hell all the time like we should be like actively trying to just like pour good into each other pour good into ourselves just like spread some goodness so that's what i live by that's what i kind of stand by um that's kind of like the the basis of what i do is trying to pour some mm -hmm. goodness spread it i'm not perfect but i try to just yeah, like yeah. spread some per some some uh goodness yeah. and um yeah, so that's it, man. That's it. Like I say, that um, well, good luck on that uh initiative. Uh, I know how it is when you're doing some um new things inside the school and how it can be um real, just getting everything up and going. So, good luck on that. Um, uh, to see who we got here, shout out to Jeffrey, <laughs> Mr. William Jeffrey, man. Uh, we was on a few weeks ago. Uh, we say you can't pour from here at the cup, most definitely agree, yeah. man. So what's next for you, brother? Uh, I know you, we talked a little bit before um, before we started live, but just about uh, jumping more into the major. So what are you looking to do post-Harvard? Um, let me see. 
post Harvard, I'm looking to do some grad school. Now, what that looks like, I don't know. So I, okay, look, I believe in embracing the and not the or. So you can do this and that, not this or that. And with that, I say this, <laughs> I could see myself being a doctor and a lawyer, right? I can see that. I can genuinely see that. Um, that is a new kind of idea for me, but it developed out of what I'm passionate about. So remember I was telling you earlier about like my STEM and my social, um, my STEM and my social science, like things. Well, I see a lot of times those things intersecting in medicine and law, right? I see it intersecting with medicine and law at health and health policy at global health. That's where I see the intersection. So I try to, I'm trying to think in my head what the best way would be to navigate like a professional career in the global health field, in the health policy field, while also being a practicing physician, you know, like while also being able to like rectify the disparities within medicine, because there are a lot of disparities, especially racial disparities within our medical field right now, and also rectifying some of the disparities within our legal um, system and our justice system. So um, I see myself like being instrumental or wanting to be instrumental in rectifying both of those issues and issues within both of those fields. So like, I don't know what the best way (laughs) is to do that. But as of now, um, I've been looking at MDJD programs. Um, I know Stanford has one, UPenn has one. Um, And I've been looking at these different programs and trying to just see like what avenue would be best for me to navigate to kind of intersect those things and cross those things the way that I want to so that I can help in both areas and help in the intersection of those areas. So that's kind of what I'm thinking about. Um, Other than that, I mean, I have a new book coming. Mm. Um, The first book was a first part of a three-part series. So Mm -hmm. it was Thriving My Own Lane, and this one's going to be something, and the other one's going to be something. It's tracking me from Thriving My Own Lane was like elementary, middle school. This next one would be covering high school. Um, And then this following one, the third one, and the final one of this series would be covering my time in college. So since Thriving My Own Lane was released when I was in high school, but it was written in middle school, it's safe to assume that yeah. this one being released in college was written in high school. So, mm-hmm. um, <laughs> and the gotta, one gotta, gotta matriculate them. Yeah. So, the yeah. one that I'm gonna release after college is being written now. So, yeah. Um, yeah. And that's just kind of, that's kind of one of my projects. I told you about my nonprofit mm-hmm. and how I hope that'll grow in Houston. Um, I'm here now in Boston, but, and in Cambridge, but um, hopefully, like, and I know that I have a really awesome team back in Houston who is. Yeah handling things on the ground um and like i'll send them i'll be like hey guys like i have this like thing we should do or like i have this like event we can go to or something i'll send them something like okay bet we're going we got it we doing it so um they have a great team so i'm really just excited to see how this grows and how we're able to help people um even if we only able to help one person you know what i mean like even one person that's enough for me so um yeah and i'm just i'm just i'm just vibing you know i'm trying trying to learn spanish yeah Hey, look, man, you get it in. So if people want to support, um, you know, contact you about the nonprofit, about the initiatives. Uh, how can they get in touch with you, man? Yeah, um, you can follow me on Instagram. I got um, my Instagram is I am Davion Tatum at I am Davion Tatum. Then my nonprofit Instagram is at the A1 Foundation. Um, yeah, or you can email me, um, Davion V Tatum at gmail.com or go to the website, the A1 Foundation.com. Um, or go to dalbiontatum.com. Like, there's a bunch of ways you can touch yeah. me. <laughs> but, it, make it happen. 
and my my numbers all all on all of those sites um on my instagram too is there shoot me a text shoot me a dm i'm i'm a, I'm a very like approachable person like yeah. so you can just talk to me it's cool if you have questions i literally had i was helping people that just they saw a tiktok post to me um or something and they dm me on instagram and was like hey i saw a tiktok of you i found your instagram i need help with my college application and i like helped them with the whole application and this young lady got into stanford so okay. like you know like so i'm i'm there my goal and my my hope is that i'm able to be a resource for people um i don't do all of this just for me i do all of this for us so I hope that I'm able to be a resource that the work that I'm doing is able to inspire people. And yes, feel free to contact me directly all the time. So that's good, man. Well, uh, I sure appreciate you for stopping through, man, and dropping so much knowledge on us, uh, giving us your story, uh, awesome work that you're doing. We appreciate you uh, for you know continuing that fight uh, for representing our people. Yes, sir. Uh, and, and for breaking the planes, man, and opening doors for others. So continue, young brother. Uh, and I look forward to following up with you. I'll be looking for my book uh, <laughs> copy when you take the podcast to class, man. I, uh, yes. Man, that was it. Let's see what Miss Mary say. Inspiring, great interview. Uh, thank, thank you. you. Thank you, Miss <laughs> Mary. All right, well, well, that would do it for us. Uh, once again, I look forward to talking to you again, young brother. Thank you so much. It was All right. That's it. All right, y'all. This is KT for KT TV signing out. 100. This is Darnell Broadcast Houston. This is Dr. Tamara Beckford. Hey, this is Candace. This is London Underwood. This is Kirsten Bass with Inner City Greens, and you're watching. Y'all are now tuned in to KTTV. 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 KTTV.